The Allen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Julie Ellenbecker, the president of the Ellenbecker Investment Group. Ellenbecker Investment Group is located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive in the Town Bank Building. We have a second location in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank Building. And feel free to stop in any time at either of our locations uh, to put a face with a voice. You can also check out ellenbecker.com to not only see all of our personal information and our biographies on the employees here, but to learn a little bit more about Ellen Becker Investment Group and take a virtual tour of our office. Today my guest is Sandra Geisler, and Sandra is an employee of Ellen Becker Investment Group. She actually is the director of our tax planning services. And Sandra and I have worked together for many, many years as it relates to how taxes impact the overall financial plan of our clients. And what we recognized very early on is that tax planning is a critical component to the overall financial plan. We're going to talk with Sandra today uh, not only about the new tax landscape, but also how all of the tax cuts and job act changes impact an overall financial plan. We're also going to talk about the most efficient ways to do charitable gifting because there are some substantial changes in how those are impacted by taxes. And we're going to talk a little bit about what to watch for in the coming months as we prepare to wrap up the year and do our taxes um, after the first of the year. So it's going to be a great show. It's going to be all about taxes. Uh, I can tell you that Sandra Geisler is very excited about taxes. She likes to talk about taxes. And so I, I assure you you will be uh, enjoying our conversation so we'll take a quick break and when I return I will introduce you to Sandra welcome back to money sense I'm Julie Ellen Becker president of the Ellen Becker investment group and today I am filling in for Karen Ellen Becker who was unable to record the show today and I am excited to welcome our guest Sandra Geisler. And you've probably, if you've been listening to Money Sense, you've heard Sandra on the radio show many, many times. She's been a guest over the years and has recently uh, become a full-time employee of Ellen Becker Investment Group running our tax planning service uh, division here. And so we feel very lucky to have her uh, at our fingertips every single day to talk about taxes. So welcome, Sandra. Thank you, Julie. You are welcome. I'm excited to, again, dig in even a little bit deeper to some of the changes that have come um, come recently in, in strategizing around how to take best advantage of or be most efficient with some of the changes that have taken place with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So uh, why don't you first start out by maybe talking about kind of the overall impact of tax reform and what you're seeing now that we know what is actually part of tax reform, and you've had an opportunity to sit down with many, many clients over the last few months. What is your kind of overarching view on some of the major impacts that our clients and people are seeing? Well, I think one of the things that we've seen for sure is that people are going to be seeing a reduction in their total federal tax liability. Uh, There's a lot of variations, obviously, from tax return to tax return. But overall, I think we're seeing, um, on average, people are 
going to have a reduction of about one and a half to two percent in their federal tax liability. Um, and again, you know, that's 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 an average. Um, not everybody's going to see that. And um, we've had a few clients that we've worked with, some who have, you know, experienced greater than that and others who maybe were not positively impacted. So absolutely. There's a couple of variations that we can look at. Um, the people that are going to not see much of an, a benefit are the people who have had their itemized deductions significantly reduced. One of the big pieces of tax reform is, is they increase the standard deduction, but also took away some of the opportunities to deduct things on your Schedule A, your itemized deduction schedule. So for example, one of the things that's changed, and you probably have heard about this in the news because it's been something that's get, getting a lot of press, is uh, the SALT deduction. So that kind of stands for your state and local tax deduction. So it used to be that we were able to deduct the state taxes that were withheld from your paychecks or your estimated state tax payments that you made and your property taxes. With tax reform, what we're seeing is the combination of those two deductions is now being limited to $10,000. So if you have really high income earners, um, they're paying a considerable amount of state tax, or you have people potentially with very high property taxes or multiple properties, um, you can see that they're going to have a pretty reduced amount of deduction with regard to those SALT deductions. So those people are, are definitely going to be seeing their taxable income increase. Um, in addition to that, anyone who has large miscellaneous deductions, so unreimbursed employee expenses, uh, advisory fees, those kinds of things, if we were deducting those in the past, those have been eliminated as part of tax reform. So those two things are contributing to the fact that a lot more people are not going to be itemizing deductions. The flip side of that is we have the increased standard deductions. Um, and so uh, the the, uh, the powers that be are estimating a considerable decrease in the amount of people that are actually going to be able to, to itemize deductions going forward. The good news, though, is that the tax rates themselves have really come down. Um, and so what used to be, for example, our 15% tax bracket is now a 12% tax bracket. What used to be a 25% tax bracket is now 22%. So even though we're seeing taxable income increase because of the changes to the itemized deductions, we're still seeing that people overall are having uh, a positive impact on their federal tax liability. Another thing that really is making a huge difference is the new increased child tax credit. So anyone with children under the age of 17 are seeing a pretty significant increase. First of all, they've doubled that child tax credit from $1,000 to $2,000. And secondly, and maybe more importantly, is they've also increased the threshold on which you can actually uh, get the credit. So it used to be somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, just over $100,000 of adjusted gross income. They've they've increased that to $400,000 now. So joint income families who weren't able to get the child tax credit in the past are now going to be seeing a pretty significant increase. So when we look at all of the different, uh, when, when you talk about taking the opportunity to deduct expenses away, mm -hmm. it always feels mm -hmm. difficult. Yes. And, and then when you look at a, a tax estimate and you see that your income is actually much higher, 
um, that also feels a little bit challenging, I mm-hmm. think, when we're looking at our overall tax return. But knowing that the brackets have gone down, are there strategies that um, as people are looking at their taxes or some of the things that have been taken away, are there ways that could um, that we could mitigate some of that overall? Well, I think the charitable giving is really going to be sort of one of the big variables that's going to determine whether people have enough deductions to itemize or whether that standard deduction is going to make sense for them. Okay. And so when we talk about the state and local taxes and, and that really becoming a lesser amount, um, are there things with property taxes that people should be paying attention to or does it really come down to if you're going to itemize or not? Yeah, I, I think it does come down to whether you're going to itemize or not. Um, one of the things that I, I did want to mention was I want to make sure that people continue to pay their state property taxes on an annual basis. Um, there's some thought now that since we're not itemizing deductions, we're going to uh, postpone paying our property taxes until closer to the due date, which of course in Wisconsin is January 31st. Um, I want people to remember that there's the school property tax credit on the state return. If you don't pay your property taxes in the calendar year, in the tax year, you are not eligible to receive that $300 credit on the state return. Um, I think it really boils down to looking at your individual tax situation, though. Um, There's a lot of variations. People that have medical expenses, for example, that might be enough to get them over that hump of being able to itemize or not itemize. whether you have mortgage interest, that's going to be another significant variable with regard to whether your itemized deductions are going to be greater than that standard deduction. And really, there's there's nothing wrong with taking the standard deduction. It's just that you lose the tax benefit of, as you said, the property taxes, your mortgage interest, and potentially your charitable contributions. And how is the alternative minimum tax affected with all of this? So one of the uh, centerpieces of tax reform is that they've increased pretty substantially the amount of the AMT exemptions. Um, And so what that means is that fewer people are going to be hit with AMT. Um, And that's another thing that we're seeing with regard to your overall federal tax liability. Um, I've seen that so many people who have been subject to AMT in the past uh, will likely not be subject to it in 2018. So again, in combination with the reduction in the tax rates and the elimination potentially of the AMT tax, I think overall people are going to be seeing a total reduction. And how do you determine that when you're working with clients? I know that the easiest thing for you to do with our clients is to review their 2017 Mm -hmm. tax return. And what types of things do you provide when you do a review that helps us understand what different components are going to affect our clients as well as where maybe there's some modifications that we need to be aware of? I think that's really the the starting point is looking at 2017, looking to see what people had with regard to their income and deductions in 2017 and what their tax liability was. And then we're taking sort of those same numbers so that we can do an apples to apples comparison and saying, now if we apply the 2018 tax rates, here's where we think that you're going to be with regard to your total federal tax liability. So I think one of the things that we are looking at from a, um, a tax planning standpoint is watching people's withholding. Along with tax reform in 2018, uh, the federal government also changed the federal tax tables. So we're seeing that although people are seeing a reduction in their federal 
income tax liability, we're also seeing a reduction in their withholding. Um, and sometimes, uh, because the tax tables are not very um, smart, there's not a lot of intelligence built into them, we're seeing that they're having significantly less withheld in comparison to the reduction in the tax liability that we're expecting. So I would certainly uh, re recommend that people take a look at what they have year to date with regard to their federal tax withholding. Um, and the IRS has a nice calculator. You can kind of go online and look to see in comparison to how much you've had withheld, what your estimated tax liability is going to be. So it's when we do financial planning for our clients and prospects who come in to meet with us, one of the things that I think is always most important is to figure out where you are currently. And that's something I always uh, really try to help our clients understand that we're going to get to recommendations. We're going to look at the whole picture and help create a plan that's going to work for you. But it's really important that before we do that, we understand where you are today. And I know that's what we've been doing with our clients as we do tax reviews is recognizing where they are today, what they've paid in uh, last year, how things look, and then give that apples to apples comparison. Because, you know, when you listen to the news or you or you read the magazines and the newspapers, it's really hard to tell how some of those overarching concepts are going to trickle down to us as individual taxpayers. And so really looking at where you are today and then trying to look forward, I think is really important. And with taxes, just like everything else, there is no one shoe fits all. And I think that sometimes we get um, hung up in what our uh, children are doing or our neighbors are doing or the people at the office are doing from a tax perspective, but it really isn't as clean cut as I, I think people often think. And so I've had the question, especially while tax reform is in the headlines and being introduced to us as consumers, you know, what does this mean for accountants? What does this mean for CPAs? Is their job going to get a lot easier? And I chuckle because I know how busy you are, and I'm sure you are recognizing that there's a lot of work to be done. But your job's not getting any easier. It's just getting different. And that's why when we talk about financial planning, how important it is to understand the tax aspect of it, because taxes probably have the most overall impact on the longevity of your assets. Because you're when you should sit down with our clients and talk about tax brackets, we're looking at 10 and 15% differences. And so that's why it's so important as part of the financial planning to understand the tax piece. And again, that's why we're so happy to have you here working with our clients because it makes a huge difference. So um, maybe you can talk a little bit about as, as a CPA and as the whole climate has changed, uh, what does it look like from the perspective of how your job has shifted, you know, more from the preparation to the planning phase? And then also, is it going to be um, really possible to file tax returns on a postcard? <laughs> uh, well, that's a great question. The The new 1040 for 2019 actually is a postcard. Uh, there's only a draft version right now, so we don't exactly know where the IRS is going to end up. But uh, um, our president has uh, promised that he would allow us to file on a postcard, and it looks like that uh, promise is going to get fulfilled. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, I suppose, depending on how you look at it, in addition to that postcard, uh, we have six additional new schedules. 
Um, and so uh, from from my standpoint as, an, as a preparer, um, I think it's going to make it a little bit more complicated. Uh, in, in theory, what they did was they just pulled out pieces from the 1040 to make it shorter and put them on um, subsidiary schedules. So it's going to be a little bit interesting to see how that plays out and if, if people find that more complicated or not to work on. Um, but with regard to the planning, I think... Um, one of the things that I've enjoyed so much about being on the staff here now um, is that during the year now, we have time to really affect change. Um, as a preparer, you're really just summarizing and reporting the information that happened on the prior year. Um, now we have an ability to actually look at people's tax returns. And, and honestly, tax reform in 2018 has give us, given us an opportunity really to, to look at what happened in 2017, see how it applies to 2018, and then look to see what we can do to plan for um, reducing your taxes. Tax planning is really all about trying to get us to pay the least amount of tax possible. Nobody wants to pay more than they have to. So what are some smart ways that we can do that? Um, charitable giving, I mentioned, as a, a variable. Um, if it makes sense, maybe we stack our charitable contributions. And what I mean by that is every other year, we donate uh to our favorite charities um, to get us to the point where we can itemize deductions in a specific year. We can do that with medical expenses. Um, obviously not life-threatening emergency type situations, but maybe we postpone dental work or uh, eyeglasses or things like that to a year when we might be able to deduct those medical expenses. And in that year, we're obviously going to want to maximize our SALT deduction. We're going to want to make sure we take advantage up to that full $10,000 number. And then we're going to want to make sure that we're maximizing our charitable giving as well. So that's some of the strategies that we're looking at. Um, and again, they, they vary from person to person. For example, another option that we have is for charitable giving, if somebody is not going to be able to itemize deductions, and they're over 70 and a half, they are required to make some minimum distributions from their IRAs. Maybe we look at doing a qualified charitable distribution from their IRA directly, um, rather than itemizing it on the Schedule A, it's actually a reduction of income directly on the 1040. Um, and that's a way that, that people 70 and a half have an opportunity to get a tax benefit for their charitable giving. I know there's a lot to talk about in terms of charitable giving, and I also want to talk a little bit about 529 plans and some of the changes that have come with planning for our children's college as well. So let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will continue to talk a little bit about the best ways to um, maximize the tax benefit of charitable contributions, as well as some of the 529 changes. So with that, we'll be right back. Investment Group. As a reminder, Ellen Becker Investment Group has two locations in the Metro Milwaukee area. One is located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive in the Town Bank Building, and the other location is in the Village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank Building. We are right across the street from Winkies, so if you're familiar with the North Shore, you know right where we are when I tell you we're by Winkies. We are also able to service clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. So if uh, you'd like to visit us there or in any of our other locations, 
Check out www.ellenbecker.com for more details um, and to uh, schedule an appointment. My guest today is Sandra Geisler, and she is the Director of Tax Planning Services at Ellen Becker Investment Group. What we're trying to do is get a uh, an overall picture of how some of the tax reform changes are impacting our clients. I think Sandra and I could probably talk for two days about taxes and uh, some of the logistics of tax reform, but also the importance of strategizing and the things that we can implement for our clients to be very efficient with uh, paying taxes. So before the break, we started to talk about charitable giving, and I'd like to circle back to that because I think it's really important. I hear a lot of people often ask me, how does um, how do I think tax reform is going to affect charitable organizations. Are they going to receive less? Is this a big negative for charitable organizations? And I think in some cases it could be um, for those people who gave to charities uh, solely for the tax benefit. But there's a lot of other strategies that we can put in place to still be in alignment with somebody's core values around giving, but also uh, take advantage of, of some tax benefits to doing that. So, Sandra, for people who want to give, you know, many people typically would just write a check or give money out of their personal cash flow every week or, or month or so to an organization. Uh, and people can certainly still do that. And if they're able to uh, take advantage of the deduction, that's great. If they're not, then they're maybe not getting a tax benefit to giving, but they're doing it to be in alignment with their values. But what other ways are there to give uh, that would maybe give us that tax benefit as well? So there's a couple of different things that we look at with regard to charitable gifting. In the last segment, we talked a little bit about the qualified charitable distributions. Um, that's a really important uh, strategy that we use. Um, unfortunately, you have to be 70 and a half to be able to take advantage of that. And the opportunity that we have is to move funds directly from an IRA as part of your required minimum distribution directly from a charity. You can't take possession of those funds yourself. The funds have to be transferred directly. You can do up to $100,000 a year as a qualified charitable distribution. But many people, especially in that age group, are, are not having the home deductions, uh, property taxes, or mortgage interest anymore. And so a lot of them are taking standard deductions. So this is a great tool for us to be able to use to, as you said, allow them to be in alignment with their core values by continuing to give, but also getting some kind of a charitable benefit or a tax benefit for them. And so it just dollar for dollar reduces their income. Exactly. And logistically, it's important to know, and you had mentioned this, but it's really important to know that this needs to come right from the individual retirement account and go directly to the charity. So you cannot take your required minimum distribution and then write a check to the charity of your choice. It really needs to be done at the at the account level. And so many of our clients take advantage of this and how they do that is they give us the information on the charitable organization, the address and the person to uh, note on the check and we send it directly for them and then that qualifies. There's another important thing that people need to know about doing that qualified um, charitable, but charitable distribution as well. Another thing that's really important to remember is that your qualified charitable distribution is not going to be noted anywhere on the 1099 documents that you receive from 
from uh, from your IRA. So you need, if you're having somebody prepare your returns, you need to tell them that you did this QCD. Um, you're not going to get anything in writing that shows that. So you have to be um, very cognizant of the fact that you did this, how much you gave, so that you make sure that you get credit for it when your return is prepared. So now when we prepare our taxes and get our envelope ready to send to you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we get receipts from different charitable organizations or we, it's much easier for us to keep track of that. Uh, when you put, when you give a charitable contribution directly from your IRA, you may not necessarily get a receipt from the charitable organization. You may, but we've come across actually some situations where people didn't. And if you don't keep track of that, it's really going to be um, impossible for the preparer to know just by reviewing the documents. One of the things that we have found to be very helpful is to have the check sent directly from the IRA to you made out to the charity. Um, and that way you can send it. Um, it makes the tracking a little bit easier for the organization so they know for sure that it came from you. Um, and and they will then send you an acknowledgement that you can give to your preparer to use. Yeah, that's a good way to keep track of it. Good. So what other options are there for charitable giving? Well, I think another thing that people forget often um, with regard to charitable giving is to donate highly appreciated stocks. Um I think that's not necessarily something that's changed with regard to tax reform, but if you are holding in your portfolio highly appreciated stocks, um, if you were to sell those stocks, you would have to realize the gain and obviously pay capital gains tax on that. Um, You could certainly then take that cash and give it to the organization of your choice, but again, you've you've realized a tax liability there. So one thing that we found to be a really good opportunity is to be able to directly, in kind, transfer those stocks to the organization of your choice. Um, They can turn around and sell those, and because they're nonprofit organizations, they do not realize any tax benefit or tax liability for that. So I think that's another thing that people sort of forget. Um, The actual tax deduction that you're able to get is the fair market value of the stock on the day of the transfer, on the day of the gift. So I think that's a really good opportunity for people with, uh, you know, appreciated stocks in their portfolio to be able to do. Especially if you're under 70 and a half. Absolutely. And you can't take advantage of the QCD. Mm-hmm. And many times we do look at that with our clients. If there is highly appreciated stock or stock that has any growth, really, anything that you can avoid paying capital gains tax on, if you're going to give it to a charity anyway, because that's your that's the decision that you're making overall, it makes sense to look and see if there's a way to do it that's efficient. And I think hand-in-hand uh, hand with that, we're seeing a lot more use of donor-advised funds. Um, you can certainly use a donor-advised fund to, uh, to have your highly appreciated securities uh, transferred into. Um, the, the, just at a high level, a donor-advised fund is basically sort of a small little personal foundation that you start. Um, any money that you transfer into that foundation um, is also considered to be a charitable gift um, and therefore eligible for a tax deduction. So it's a way for you to be able to either, as I said, put in highly appreciated stocks or to donate a large sum so that in a current year we would be able to actually itemize deductions and get a tax benefit for those contributions. But that money sits in that account um, until you, as the trustee of the, that account, are able to 
distribute it. Yes. And what's so great about that, and we work really closely with a lot of donor-advised funds in the area, is that you can just decide when you want to give the funds. You had mentioned before the break stacking contributions. So, for example, if I give $5,000 a year to the Humane Society, but I don't get to itemize anymore, I could give $10,000 in one given year and spread that out. That would be over two years and then could stack those contributions in order to get the deduction. That's one, you know, I think simple way of doing it. When you talk about donor advised funds, we recommend really evaluating this with a lot of our clients because you can put a lump sum into that fund. You can also use highly appreciated securities, but you don't have to give the money away. And so that's what I'm trying to talk to my family about right now is the idea of putting money into this donor advised fund. It's the family fund. And when we want to give it away, we can give it away. But it gives us an opportunity to collect on um, the just you know the tax benefit that we're getting, and also let this fund grow so that as a family we can decide how and when to make a meaningful contribution. It more than the tax benefit of it, it is helping us develop a legacy internally for our family. You can also do it with very small dollar amounts. Most of these funds don't require that you start them uh, with substantial dollar amounts. You can dollar cost average and invest every month. You can put your securities in there if you choose to do it. Uh, they're, They're so flexible. And if you're interested in learning more about donor advised funds, you can call our office and certainly speak with Sandra or myself. You could also go online to ellenbecker.com and look at our third quarter 2018 newsletter because one of our associates, Heather Deaton, just recently wrote an article on donor-advised funds, and all of us here at Ellenbecker Investment Group are, are happy to talk with you about how to do that and what it looks like because there's a lot of information out there. There are a lot of organizations like, for example, the Greater Milwaukee Foundation, uh, has a donor advised fund. The National Christian Foundation has a donor advised fund, as well as many of the major custodians like TD Ameritrade and Vanguard and Fidelity. And so we're very familiar with the options that are out there, and would happy uh, would happily assist you to seeing what makes most sense for your family. But I do think the donor advised funds is a great is a great way to go, especially again if you're under seventy and a half. You want to make charitable contributions, and you want to be efficient tax-wise with doing that. So um, certainly reach out, and we'll be happy to, to talk more with you about that. And one of the other things as we talk about do not necessarily get reported directly from either the IRA, uh, from the donor-advised fund perspective, or the charitable giving and the qualified charitable distributions. But the other thing is 529 contributions. You don't get a letter at the end of the year saying this is what you put into a 529. And now there's been so many changes with how we can save for college. Uh, Maybe explain a little bit about during tax reform what's happened to 529 plans and then again how important it is to record keep. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point because 529 plans uh, had a significant change with regard to tax reform this year. What the tax reform bill allowed us to do now is to be able to use the funds in our 529 plan to pay for not only college, but also for elementary and secondary or high school education. So if you have uh, children who are children or grandchildren who are going to, say, a private high school, you can take the money from your 529 plan and, and use it to pay for high school. Interestingly enough, though, in the state of Wisconsin, 
we have a private school deduction on our state return. So I would encourage everyone to sort of look to see what the benefit of that is. If you are taking that private school deduction, you are not allowed to do that if you take the money out of the 529 plan. The state kind of considers that double dipping because, of course, our 529 plan uh, accounts are growing tax-free. And so if we pull the money out, we got a deduction when we put it in. If we pull it out and use it and get another deduction for the private school tuition, uh, the state kind of frowns on that. <laughs> That's so, frowned upon. Yeah. So I, in my experience now in this last few months, I think it makes most sense to continue to let those funds grow um, for college, uh, take advantage of the private school deduction for your elementary and high school kids, and, uh, and that's usually the best use um, tax-wise of those funds. But again, it's not one shoe fits all. That's exactly right. And you really have to look at the individual situation. And that's why I think right now as uh, taxpayers, it's really important that we get in front of our accountants, we get in front of our preparers, and we talk about some of these planning strategies because it's been highlighted in the news, it's been highlighted in a lot of different uh, parenting magazines and things, the ability to use your 529 plan for elementary and secondary schools. But what we're learning when we actually dig into individual individual situations is that might not make the most sense. So again, it's important to sit down with someone who can look at not only your tax situation, but how it impacts your overall financial plan as well. So Sandra, let's take a quick break. And what I'd like to talk about when we get back are the things that we can watch for in the coming months and uh, what's coming from the new tax reform, or as you like to call tax reform 2.0. And uh, so we look forward to circling back on that. And just to welcome back to Money Sense, I'm Julie Ellenbecker, president of the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And uh, don't forget that Money Sense airs on Saturdays from 2 to 3 and Sundays from 12 to 1. If you like this recording or you know somebody who might benefit from either meeting Sandra Geisler or talking about uh, their own personal tax situation, we will have this recording available on a podcast as well as you can always feel free to call Ellen Becker Investment Group or check us out on www.ellenbecker.com and schedule time to either meet with Sandra or meet with an advisor team who can help you understand how tax planning uh, really works closely with your overall financial plan. We're recognizing really as an industry how important it is to tie those two things together, but also to have separate individuals looking at both of them. Because oftentimes Sandra Geisler and I will sit across the table from each other and she'll have a tax recommendation, I'll have a financial recommendation or an investment recommendation. And we need to try to work together to, to take the best advantage of financial decisions as they relate to tax decisions as well. So I encourage you to, if you don't already have a tax planning service, to really integrate that with your overall financial plan. And Sandra, I'd like to have you share with us a little bit more about some of the new legislative initiatives and what that looks like and what we should be watching for. It's going to be a really interesting year, I think. Um, tax planning is, is becoming a 
challenging uh, because it used to be that, you know, we had the same tax code in place for, all, uh, you know, years and years and years. Um, and now it seems like every year we're getting new things to look at and, uh, as I like to say, new uh, playground equipment to play on. Uh, but one of the things that's happening, in fact, right now within the next week or two is, uh, as you mentioned, tax reform 2.0. Um, all of the tax reform changes that we've talked about today and you've heard about in the news, they actually are all due to sunset in uh, 2025. So we've only got about you know seven years or so with this new code. Um, after that, they will sunset and we will go back to what we had prior to 2018, which is all of the same tax laws in effect for 2017. Uh, so it's interesting, tax reform 2.0, uh, which is what's being passed through the House uh, within the next couple weeks, the main provision of that is to try to make this tax code permanent. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if that happens or not. Um, many people are uh, suspect that we'll have enough votes to get through the Senate at this point. We'll have to see what the midterm elections bring with regard to that. Um, there is a lot of... Um, uh, arguments. There's a lot of protest um, with regard to that $10,000 SALT deduction. Um, you can imagine that people that living on the coasts um, that have very high property taxes and very high state taxes um, are not in favor of making those permanent. Uh, I think people like the reduction in the tax rates themselves, just don't like some of the individual things. And so trying to get consensus on that is going to be um, kind of interesting. But I did want to talk about one other thing that um, is actually part of the new tax code that they're trying to push through. And that's a, another uh, broadening of the use of the 529 plans. We talked about that a little bit earlier today. Um, I think we're going to continue to see that being pushed through. We'll have to see what actually uh, gets signed into law or not. But um, they're looking at being able to use 529 plans for some additional things now. And that uh, would include things such as um, apprenticeship fees, um, the cost to, or the the, um, the ability to cover the costs of homeschooling and potentially even paying off student loan debt. Uh, so we'll have to see how those things play um, as we move through the end of the year. There's been a lot of things in the, in the news that I think are being evaluated, and I don't know how much of it is ever going to go through or how much of it is, is true, but they've talked about adjusting required minimum distribution amounts. Uh, there's been word on allowing corporations and companies to do combined 401k plans, and uh, there's all these different things that I think are in the headlines, but it'll be interesting to watch for that. I think once we start to hear these things, um, it means they're talking about them. And so we're probably going to see, as you said, you know, some modifications here and there, but a few of these things are going to come through. A couple of weeks ago, the president signed an executive order um, asking the Department of Labor and the Department of Treasury to move forward on some things. And you had mentioned the RMDs. Um, it's interesting, uh, as you know, at age 70 and a half, we're required to start to take money out of our retirement plans. Uh, but that number hasn't, that age hasn't changed since the early 80s. And of course, people are living longer now. On average, they're saying people are living three to four years longer than they did in the early 80s. So it makes sense to kind of look at this um, again. And so they're going to be looking at potentially starting the RMDs later 
or even reducing them once they start. So that'll be kind of interesting to see how that plays out. Um, and then you also mentioned pooling 401k plans. So smaller employers, they would like the ability for smaller employers to be able to have less administrative costs and uh, less paperwork and be able to pool their resources a little bit to be able to offer their employees 401k plans, which is always a good thing. But again, it hasn't come to fruition yet. They're, they're review, <laughs> yeah, they're reviewing it, um, and we'll have to kind of see how that all changes. So we can't, we can't get excited or disappointed until we know exactly what's going to happen. Well, Sandra, thank you so much for your time today. I'm always grateful to be able to sit across the table from you and talk about taxes and strategizing, especially when we're in client meetings together, because I think that's where a, a real value comes into play where we can actually make a difference. And the benefit, as you said right in the beginning of the conversation, is to do it this time of year or even earlier in the year, but not to wait until tax time to evaluate your taxes. Because at tax time, all we're doing is reporting. Any time before then, we actually can affect some change. So uh, I, I talk to all my clients about that because I think it's very important. If you'd like to uh, learn more about Sandra, you can check her out on our webpage. We also uh, put a newsletter article in each quarter that Sandra drafts and prepares. Uh, for our readers and so you can certainly check out any of our newsletters they're all on our webpage at ellenbecker.com and certainly don't hesitate to give our office a call and you can speak with Sandra directly again if you really like today's show and you want to know more feel free to pull up our podcast and pass it on to somebody else or again visit our webpage and please don't forget Money Sense airs Saturday from 2 to 3 Sundays from 12 to 1 And as always, we hope that we have made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. And remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen.